Hello and welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best. I'm Jamie Peck. I am Sean KB. And I'm AP Andy. And we are here via Skype with a very special guest today, our friend Sophie Weiner. She's an editor at Splinter and a great, great writer and great friend. Hey, hey Sophie. how's it going? Oh, so good. So well. We miss you. We miss you here in New York. I know. I miss you guys, too. I'm living on the other side of the world, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's okay, but it, it can't compare to going out in Bushwick to all of our favorite disgusting bars. So Concrete jungle where dreams are made of. Are you saying that Melbourne doesn't have like a hipster district? They don't have like an Alaska? Yeah, they don't have an Alaska. Uh, they definitely don't have an Alaska. Um, you guys would be uh, very disappointed. There's The drinks here are very weak uh-huh. and very expensive. Uh-huh. But yeah. they're huge, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everything's bigger down there, right? No, it's not Texas. <laughs> I thought it was like a Texas was a continent. That's what Australia is. No, uh, maybe. We we should say that uh, Sophie was here for the lost first episode yes. of the Antifada, the abortive secret first episode that, that never uh, released. Maybe someday, if uh, if you guys are really nice to us, and <laughs> you know. Sign up for lots of Patreon money. We'll release it as a bonus for our patrons. What, but, do, you, what uh, do you think, Sophie? Should we? Oh, uh, uh, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> me neither. Was, <laughs> we uh, I, I we didn't really know what we were doing yet. No. Um, we were also very hungover yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, some some more than others. But uh, we offered uh, Sophie some Adderall. Because if you've read our reviews on iTunes, you know that we are like uh, if the Brunigs were on a lot of uppers and also had some more of an edge. And Sophie did not take the Adderall. So yeah. that was her first mistake. Yeah, that was that was probably well, maybe my first mistake was like staying up till 6 a.m. the night before. But mm. that was that was my second mistake. Yeah, yeah for, uh, it for- was. For those of you who do not know, um, Alaska was a bar that, <laughs> uh, yeah, you, people from, you know, sort of the, the Brooklyn creative alcoholic scene would go to and uh, engage in self-destructive behavior It together. was one of, like, 200 identical bars in Bushwick. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. It uh, just had its, no. own, its own scene. Oh, but it was our shithole. Sophie, are you saying that it was, it was unique? Alaska was unique? Yeah, it was unique. It was uniquely terrible. It okay. was different than than all of the other shitholes because it was even worse. That's nice. why it was so good. Mm. Throwback. It wasn't bad enough for me. If any of you uh, Alaska monsters are listening right now, you are probably drunk. But uh, shout out, shout out to you guys because uh, you yeah. really, you really helped make our first episode so special <laughs> that we just couldn't even show it to anyone. Right. And anybody exactly. out there, um, if you want to help Andy by creating his ideal bar, uh, please uh, get an abandoned dumpster and, uh, you know, throw some, I don't know, stools mm-hmm. in there and uh, some liquor and uh, he'd be happy to come by. It'd be just bad enough for him. Maybe some like, you know, I'm not down. yet, ex- just just barely expired food. 
<laughs> just barely. Oh my god. <laughs> so Andy's dumpster diving is uh, is finally being revealed. Mm, to yeah, us. it'll be a Freegan bar. That'll be good. There you go, Freegan dumpster bar. Dumpster liquor. Mm. I've mm-hmm. done it. Mm-hmm. So we um we actually before we get into the meet with Sophie, uh, a bit of a mea culpa here. We did not release an episode uh, last mm-hmm. week, and we do apologize to our patrons sincerely yes. for that. Perceptive listeners of the show may have noticed we did not release an episode last week uh we've been uh i'd say maybe going through one of the worst experiences uh, of an already bad situation which Ah. is uh moving apartments in new york city or really anywhere we uh not only uh are doing that but uh we have some issues with the new apartment that we've moved into and it's been really taxing on us yeah uh to say the least there so, okay, when I first saw this place, I'm like, this place is too good to be true. I can't believe we found a place in our price range mm, in Bushwick that yeah. has a dishwasher yeah. and a fucking uh, washer dryer. Like, what? But uh, it turns out it's got some pretty bad leaks. The worst one being in the bedroom. Mm. Our bedroom is still uh, covered in a tarp and, uh, and, and lots of dirty water, some plaster. So we've been kind of glamping in the living room. It's like a really... It's like a really great synthesis of like high and low culture, right? Because we are (laughs) sleeping on a mattress on the floor and the windows are covered in taped up cardboard, (laughs) but the mattress is a Casper. So, you you know, a little column A, a little column B. (laughs) It's been uh, really brutal, too, because Jamie and I accumulated over the six, almost six years. We were at our last apartment, like a whole bunch of shit. So we really had to purge the fuck out of everything we sold, Mm -hmm. gave away or just like, I don't know throughout i'd say i don't know 17 garbage bags worth of shit so yeah if anyone wants um a crappy old sleeper sofa that the cats have had their way with but (laughs) works really really well and you're willing to remove it from our house for us hit us up yeah but uh, you yeah, wouldn't know the Marie Kondo show. You guys, you guys need to decide if all these things bring you joy. Mm. Uh, Trust me, I've heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, I've heard it all. My, like, oh, I really? I never thought of that. <laughs> I should just get rid of the stuff that doesn't bring me joy. Yeah. My my line uh, was, "When in doubt, throw it out," and that worked pretty well. No, I mean it's not a rational mental disorder that I have. <laughs> like. It definitely runs in my family, and it's uh, it's, it's it's a thing I'm working on. But uh, Sophie, you wouldn't know anything about moving, would you? No, I've never moved in my life. I've only lived in one one place in um, Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, well, I I just can't believe that you guys are living in a in a New York City apartment that is awful and falling oh, apart. Right, and, yeah. uh, They're usually good. Possibly <laughs> trying to kill you. Um, it's like a very but, uh, it's like a very fancy uh, meth house right now. Mm-hmm, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I've I've lived in places like that as long as the cats are okay. I mean, yeah, oh, the cats are okay. fine. It'll be all right. Frida yeah. hid underneath the couch for a while when we first got there. Leo was chill. He just jumped right up and wedged himself in by the heater. But uh, she came out today. She was sniffing around. So, Sophie, um, your big move was to Australia, yeah. what, nine months ago or so? Yeah, um, in uh, t- April of last year, I, I got the hell out of the U.S., um, not really by choice, but for, for love. Uh, um, so oh, you're a, and- a romantic refugee. <laughs> <laughs> 
A refugee yeah, of the yeah, heart. Except I actually don't have to stay on the prison island, so <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely doing better than the actual refugees that You're are not here. Is Australia island? not a prison island? <laughs> oh no, this is the it's, this is like the OG prison island, and now they've created a new prison island mm. that's like worse uh, for all of the migrants who they don't want to let into Australia. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm lucky I got to come that's, to the original prison island. That's um, Manaus. What what what's it called? Manus Island. Yeah. What what's the update and, with that? I remember uh, seeing just like the most horrific shit from it earlier this year. Yeah, but I haven't so heard anything. most people are not there anymore. They've gotten off. They got off all the children, which like yay, you're not torturing children on a prison island anymore. We can um, take some lessons from that. There's here. still some people left on there, as far as I know. I think there's there. It, it's sort of almost like a Guantanamo Bay situation where they're like sort of slowly, slowly taking people off, but like it still exists, it's still happening, and they don't have, like, another solution for what to do with these people other than obviously just let them into your country and don't torture them. Um, So, I don't know, it seems like the refugee movement has, like, almost run out of steam because they've been battling this for so long now. Um, But, yeah, it was really awful. There was lots of sexual abuse and lots of suicide attempts, and, yeah, it was... It was terrible. And Sophie, these but. are people who were, um, were they migrating by boat and they're picked up and brought to this island or were these people removed from their homes in Australia? Uh, I believe most of them were by boat. Um, they, I believe, would go to places like Malaysia and, uh, and you know, Papua New Guinea and then try to come to Australia by boat and be intercepted. And yeah, I mean, it, it's un- sadly, you know, effective strategy because once you're on this island i mean you can't leave there's no way to get out Hmm. so you don't have to worry about stuff like we do in the states of people just coming into the country because it's all on land so but yeah it's still happening uh and it's so let me ask you a, uh, a very topical question right now. There's a, you know, an old theory in economics. It's called uh, comparative advantage, right? It's about different countries, you know, using their best assets in order to, you know, kind of like for the market to to bring in, you know, some sort of uh, ideal sort of equalized uh, mechanisms for distributing uh, resources and producing them and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, given that, um, in the competitive advantage race, uh, who has more racism? Who's more racist, do you think? Uh, the United States or Australia? Who's winning that competition? Oh, man. I mean, it, there's there's a lot of different ways to look at this. On, on one level, Australia is just whiter than the U.S. I mean, it's not as diverse. Um, I'm in Melbourne, which is you know, relatively like pretty chill. But if you go out into the outback or into the bush in Australia, you pretty much get to like crazy white people uh, who, you know, are not shooting people because they don't have guns, but would be shooting people if they could uh, pretty quickly. But um, I don't know. I mean, the thing with Australia is it's, it's a much younger country than the U.S., So their history of like, you know, genociding the native population and like taking their children and all this stuff was only like a hundred or even less years ago. Um, So it's like still happening, um, which is not not great. Um, 
But that being said, I don't know. I mean, in in some ways, Australia is a more uh, humane country than the U.S. Mm. because they actually have like a welfare state. You mm. know, they have health care. Mm-hmm. They have paid time off. They is, have all these things. Isn't the minimum wage something absurd, like the equivalent of like $23 an hour U.S.? It's actually 18 which okay. is more like $15 an hour U.S. Oh, so, I thought it was you know, it, yeah. it's... That's still we are currently fighting for 15. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Uh, so, you know, here you actually have it and it's allowed, you know, uh, lots of slacker rock bands to come into being because they can work at a cafe like three days a week and then pay their rent and have health insurance and stuff. Ooh, so, yeah, like if you if you mm. like Courtney Barnett, you should thank uh medicare for all in a high minimum wage but mm. so so on the yeah. racism tip i guess you're not counting racism against white people that's interesting um, yeah well as i said because there it's not super diverse here there's a lot of white people you know i i think the the uh reverse racists haven't gained much ground yet um but but they're coming obviously mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. gotta time. gotta watch yeah. out for them yeah. it's a very it, yeah. it's a very pink white to be fair. <laughs> yeah, it, it is it is a reddish like skin cancery white. <laughs> kind of crocodile skin sort of mm. thing. Yeah. So yeah. uh on 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 that on that tip, um what do the Australian people think of Trump? Uh is he racist enough for Australia? Just racist enough? Um <laughs> yeah, what's I going mean, on? I have to say it's it's very interesting because I think one thing I have noticed here is they're not like nearly as sort of woke about the existence of racism as a lot of people are in the U S like even sort of, you know, milk toast liberals in the U S are pretty, you know, aware of the fact that mm-hmm. there's a lot of racism and here because sort of living conditions are better and there isn't as much sort of visible uh, racism in the same way that there is now with Trump, they, I feel like people here have this sort of like superiority, uh, towards the U S at this point. They're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, our government sucks, but like, we don't have anything like Trump. Like, you know, we're still like fine compared to that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, obviously you guys also suck very Mm -hmm. badly (laughs) and lots of terrible things are happening here. Um, but it's happening sort of outside of the, you know, view of most people who are just sort of like going about their lives so it's because there's I think the major difference is because there was no history of institutionalized like slavery here it's easier to sort of push all that stuff under the rug and ignore what happened which was also terrible um and so a lot of people here genuinely are like, oh, there's no racism. We live in a post-racial society. Mm. I've heard which that is, over here. Which is, of course, too. in fact, very racist. So, yeah. yeah. That's a conservative talking point in the United States, but you're saying that that's like kind of the, the general sort of take from Australians? I, mean, I think it's just that a lot of Australians just don't have to ever think about it. Mm. Like, they're mm. white. All of their friends are white. They have a nice job. They have a nice house. They can have kids and they don't have to worry about it. Like, so to them, the idea that there's some sort of like deep, you know, plague in their society 
sounds, I think, overblown. You know, they don't really get why all of these, you know, young people are so pissed off and why people are doing protests and stuff. It doesn't make sense to them because their lives are fine. Mm. Whereas I feel like in the U.S., you know, the whole reason we have Trump is because things are very not fine. Right. Like, yeah. you know, even for even these, you know, idiots who live in the suburbs and have a boat who voted for Trump, even their lives are kind of difficult at times mm. and they don't know why. And so they've glommed on to, you know, hating immigrants as like a way to explain that. Whereas most people here are like, they're doing fucking great. I mean, there's only 20 million people. It's there's so much money. They're just like, things are good. Who cares? Interesting. So, Do they think that yeah. Trump is just this like uniquely American phenomenon of some doofus? Uh, you know, that was a mistake or do they uh, what's what's their take on what's happening over here? I mean, they definitely are sort of looking on as as, you know, the American empire crumbles with yeah. this sort of like. God, how did they get themselves into that kind of mess? Like, oh, that could never happen mm-hmm. here because things are much better here. Um, Says the country yeah. that produced Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, literally. I mean, it's like pretty good argument to be made that Rupert Murdoch had a greater hand in Trump than uh, many other things. Um, Doesn't Australia but... just like cycle through these ultra conservative prime ministers one after another endlessly? I mean, they have one right now. I mean, it's it's. As long as I have been uh, dating an Australian, which is like six years. Um, shout out to Tom. What up, Tom? Yeah, shout out, shout out, Tom. Um, you fucked that they're... pussy so good, she moved continent. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare oh, cut man. that out. <laughs> it's okay. You can keep it in if you want. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, as long as we've been together, which is like six years, uh, they've had awful conservative government after awful conservative government. So it's um, your fault. <laughs> Why'd yeah. you do it? <laughs> Going great. Um, but um, yeah, I think it, it, nothing here has happened on the level of like Trump or Brexit to sort of force people to come to terms with how shitty things are. So we're still in this sort of like, I I don't know, it's almost like going back in time to like 2014 or Mm. something when it's like, well, things are bad, but we don't really have to think about it that much. So So are you saying that perhaps it's like the material and social conditions that give rise to somebody like Trump and because Australia doesn't have that, that there is a different sort of political arrangement there? I mean, perhaps. uh, I, I would say that they do have it to some extent. I mean, like pretty much every other, uh, you know, industrialized first world country, there has been a long campaign of neoliberal, you know, cuts to social safety net stuff. So that's happening. I mean, college used to be free. It's not anymore. Like there's cuts to Medicare. It's, It's happening, but it's not at the point of, you know, somewhere like the UK or the US now where it's like full blown, like, this is not working. Um, so except if you're, you know, Aboriginal or you're a migrant or something, in which case it is very much not working. Right. Right. Uh, so it's very much yeah. like a social welfare state that's uh, designed for and uh, supported by a particular segment, the majority white population of Australia. And if you're yeah. not, if you're, as long as you're in that, you don't really have to think too much about the, the other folks. Yeah. And if anyone else talks about race or wealth inequality, they're the ones being divisive. Right, exactly. You're like, things are good. Why are you getting so angry? I mean, 
yeah, it's it's very strange coming from the U.S. where things are like in full blown like panic mode to here where everyone's just like, uh, good day, mate. Like, let's go to the beach. Like, let's drink some beer. Like, oh, you're making like, a, we you're, like beer. Okay, <laughs> I we like beer. We're, I like whiskey, and it's so fucking expensive here. Like, mm. it's so expensive. Well, that's one reason uh, not to go. But I was thinking, yeah. I, I did actually look over, because one of our Discord um, people back, you know, some months ago said, how bad does it have to get in the United States before you guys leave? And I hadn't thought about it before. Um, and I, you know, I kind of bounced back and forth with them. But I, I, after that, I went and I looked at the checklist that the Australians have for, like, migrants, like skilled migrants, if I were to go oh, yeah. over there. And uh, my trade is actually, it gets me some checks on that little checklist there. All so, right. So uh, I know they have well, unions over cool. there, too. Come so, on over. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's possible that we'll come and join <laughs> your less declining uh, advanced capitalist Yay. country at some point in time. It's going to be great. No, I mean, I've not ironically said multiple times, like, well, I guess I am lucky that I like have an out uh, from right. the state um, if things get even worse. And, you know, I mean, I'm half Jewish and like have written angry things about politics on the Internet. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's possible that I could I, I've told my family, like, I will chain migrate them here if, if oh, we need nice. to. Yeah. Um, can we get and that's married? the mindset? Can we get married yeah. so you can chain migrate? Can we get, get like a, a poly uh triad marriage that we can come to (laughs) um maybe i mean you know the the goddamn the goddamn progressives here are probably pushing for something like that so hopefully in the next few years we'll be able to do that um marrying a kangaroo yeah i thought a koala they all have chlamydia so i wouldn't recommend really in the pouch too because i was thinking about sex in the pouch that'd be pretty hot it's um, like a Lewis Carroll poem, Koala <laughs> with Chlamydia. Yeah, exactly. But, it's it's, I mean, it's the alliteration. The thing is, if I get cancer or something, I can actually get health care here. Ooh. So, I mean, that is a definite consideration of hmm. like, you know, in the future, if something terrible happens to me or even my close family members, I'm like, wow, now I might actually have a way to not die. So that's cool. Well, on that tip real quick, uh, I think that Jamie and I both agreed that when um, somebody like Noam Chomsky were to get uh, locked up or like censored or banned, that might be the time to like, you know, yeah, like the, the board FBI agent that has to follow him to Panera and back every day. <laughs> uh, finally, see some action. Yeah, yeah. that when might the, be the... when the linguistics police lock him up <laughs> for being wrong about linguistics. Yeah, um, that might bail. be when we got to yeah. hightail it, you know, bail to Canada yeah. and then fly well, because careful because sanders might arrest him for being a imperialist warmonger <laughs> mm. oh definitely for his work at I mit right yeah mm. military right. industrial complex so um sean and i our our current plan was you know when things go south uh to move to mexico and have a reverse anchor baby there but you've actually <laughs> yeah. made a very strong case for australia Oh, no. I mean, in reality, I would 100% rather go to Mexico. Mexico is great. I mean, Mexico is like the people there are nice and it's like cheap and there's beaches that aren't full of, you know, people with skin cancer. Uh, So I I would definitely choose Mexico over over Australia. So we'll have to, C, then. Yeah, we'll have to meet up in Mexico sometime regardless because <laughs> it's a sure happy place for possible. all of us. <laughs> but can you get a flat white in Mexico? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't drink them here, but um, probably if you ask nicely. Isn't that just a latte? 
Oh God, I don't even know. I don't drink coffee. It's a I mean, latte. apparently the coffee here is really good, but that's one thing that I haven't really gotten to experience because I I get too anxious if I drink mm. coffee because I'm delicate. Yeah, I find it to be uh, a lot on top of the Vivance that I take most days <laughs> as well. Well, uh, shout out Vivance. Tom is on it too now. Yeah. So oh, yeah, we're get that Vivance Vivantage. <laughs> Adderall Plus. Oh, all right. So, Sophie, you um, actually, you know, on this racism tip, uh, you actually recently attended a uh, anti-fascist protest in Melbourne. Is that correct? Yeah. So we're, we're only three days out now from the what was basically the sort of uh, Melbourne sequel, Unite the Right type situation. Oh, um, right. Yeah. So it was pretty fucked up. Um yeah, so this was something that came about basically after these like racist Nazi dudes last week or maybe a few weeks ago were just on the beach. This is only like 15 minutes away from where I live, like five foot. Um, and they were essentially just harassing some African immigrants who were just playing soccer and trying to have a good time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were standing around and like videotaping them to be like, oh, this is proof of the African crime gangs that are taking over our city or whatever. Um, and somehow that led to a long sequence of events. And then they had this big rally this last weekend, which was like take back St. Kilda, which is oh, the man. beach where it happened uh, from, you know, these terrible migrants who are playing soccer and uh, making the whole thing slightly less pasty. Um, so, yeah, it was I hadn't like heard a lot about it until a few days before it happened. Um it was not amazing. I mean, so I showed up, you know. What's uh, Baked uh, Alaska there? <laughs> uh, they, it was the Australian version of Baked Alaska. Big um, Tasmania. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there several, like, alt-right types have not been allowed into Australia. Like, I think Laura Loomer oh, was yeah. not given and, uh, a visa to Stephen, get in. Stephen Molyneux was banned too, right? Yeah, I believe Great. so. Gavin yeah. was not let in. Yeah. Several of them have been banned, although I think Milo is coming here. Yay, yeah. can't wait. Um, yeah, his career but, is over. Uh, but also, unfortunately, to the whole uh, Australia is racist thing, also almost every hip-hop artist can't get a visa in oh, here, and many hip-hop shows get canceled because people can't get visas. So that's great. Um, that's fucked up. Yeah, it is fucked up. That's like there's all these great uh, Mexican rock bands who just want to come to the United States to play like festivals and shows yeah. and tour, but because they're from Mexico, like they can't do it every other, you know, band. Yeah, I, I wrote a piece up. last year about all of the like cool artists from uh, Muslim countries who can't get into the U.S. now, thanks to Trump. Yay. Um, but anyway, on the, on the whole Australian fascist situation, um, yeah, so, you know, I wanted to go to the counter-protest, and I saw, you know, the sort of typical events varying from we're going to have a picnic on the beach to sort of, you know, oppose these assholes to, like, you know, more sort of militant Antifa-type uh, counter-events. So I went down there, um, and it was... Uh, interesting situation. I've actually never been to one of the counter protests 
to a fascist or Nazi event in the U.S. because they usually don't happen in New York, although once in a while they do. Yeah, there was um, that Gavin thing recently, but yeah. yeah usually yeah. they are the counter protesters. Right. Right. They exactly like I feel like I've seen a few of them when I've gone to a DSA thing or I've gone to, you know, a Black Lives Matter thing or something that I've never gone to an event that was to counter them. And it was actually kind of scary. I mean, I was surprised that there were not more counter protesters here. Um, there was describe the scene for us. Like what what did yeah, it look like? So what were the people? I was there. I got there maybe, you know, one or two hours after it started and it was taking place on this sort of patch of grass across from the beach. Um, and there were an insane number of cops. I mean, there were probably more cops than there were fascists. Um, but there were still a pretty big number of far right dudes. Like I would say about a hundred Apparently, it got up to like 150 later on. There were maybe 200 to 250 counter-protesters, which is a pretty depressing mm-hmm. uh, ratio. Um, and I wasn't even sure how to even get to the counter-protest at first because the cops had essentially surrounded it. And I got in by walking all the way down to the beach. And then I was, you know, hanging out with the people and chanting and yelling at the Nazis and stuff who are all, you know, as there's many photos of them, like, doing Nazi salutes, yeah, marching back and forth, when you showed doing all this us. shit. Yeah. yeah um, and so I was in the sort of counter-protester area, but very quickly it became apparent that, like, we were just stuck because the police had us completely surrounded. So it, the fascists were outside of the police kettle, and all of the anti-fascists oh. were inside. This sounds so very they, familiar, yeah. It's almost like the they, cops prefer one side to the other. Yeah, almost. Um, so, yeah, they were. They started, like, the, the Nazis started sort of running around the perimeters of the kettle, and all the counter-protesters started sort of, like, following them to yell at them. And I don't know, the whole thing was really disorganized and didn't feel like particularly safe or effective. Um, No one really got hurt. A few people sort of, you know, broke through the barrier to like attempt to punch someone mostly on the fascist side. They ran over into our side um, and a few people got arrested. I saw a bunch of canisters of like pepper spray explode, which I think the police, like did that for some reason um yeah so i don't know i only stayed about an hour because i am on a visa here so i was like i probably shouldn't get arrested um so i what's called unarrestable we have that here too (laughs) if you got a warrant or you're a you know a migrant or whatever there's definitely people who are unarrestable tom never really joined me at any of the protests in the States because, uh, because he was on a visa there. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I sort of took off it. I saw a lot of posts afterwards from people who were saying like they were very frustrated about the turnout, um, on the counter protest side. And I know like anecdotally from people who, you know, obviously are against the Nazis, but don't necessarily think that it's necessary to go out there and, you know, show that they're not wanted or whatever. I think unlike in the States 
we haven't really gotten to the point here where it's taken seriously and it's, you know, like, oh, we actually need to worry about the threat of fascists and neo-Nazis and stuff. People don't get it yet, which is ridiculous and depressing, but it, yeah. Oh, there are plenty of people who don't get it here too. Like, I I don't know if you saw, there's like, (laughs) even within DSA, Right now, yeah. there was like a big fight in Philly DSA oh between uh, the people yeah. who thought that it was important to go and counter protest the Nazis yeah. and the people yeah. who thought that that was just a distraction from the very important work that DSA yeah. is doing. It was I a meeting. That. It wasn't even um, like they were on an organizing drive. Like they had to have their meeting. And I think South Jersey DSA canceled their meeting in order to, you know, counter protest the Proud Boys who were on mass in the city. <laughs> and uh, Philly DSA was like, no, you know, this meeting is more important than going out and uh, confronting. Fashion. Yeah, that sucks. I mean, the thing is, unfortunately, first of all, there is nothing like DSA here. Um, in part because the sort of more uh i would say the the less sort of leftist elements of dsa are represented by like the greens Mm. here the sort of like standard social democrat type stuff there actually is a political party for you and you can actually win seats in parliament Mm. and stuff and you know so those people aren't necessarily looking for another group that's more radical to be a part of and then Aside from that, the the like actual socialist parties here are more on the sort of fringy, like some of them are Trotskyites, some of them are, you know, like Maoists. It's like it's all over the place. It's like and and so those people, of course, in in the great tradition of uh, of leftist movements, are incredibly fractured mm. and always angry at each other. They haven't yet. Uh, they haven't started a protracted people's war from the bush yet. <laughs> Unfortunately, no, because no one lives out there. Oh, but, okay. um, well, it'd be a great place to start. Better than a swamp. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's easy to I take it over. Here. Just yeah, bring a lot of water. That's what the U.S. military is doing in Afghanistan. They're just taking over places where nobody fucking lives and crediting yeah. it to themselves. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely take over hundreds and hundreds of square miles of Australia. Oh, yeah. You just wouldn't be able to live there because it's too hot and full of poisonous you would spiders be and snakes. King of the koalas <laughs> and the scorpions. It would be great. <laughs> and all those other beautiful, deadly things that yeah, live in Australia. Out there, like koalas, don't even live out there. This is like, I mean, the vast majority of Australia is just completely uninhabitable, like oh, desert. A lot of so. snakes. We get a snake economy going. Yeah. um, But anyway, it's so I don't know. I mean, like, so uh, my partner, Tom Hawking, shout out Tom. uh, He went over to a family friend's house yesterday and they were sort of jokingly like, oh, we saw this stuff on the news that was happening down here. We hope you guys weren't involved in any way. And he was like, Mm -hmm. well, yeah, actually, Sophie did go down there. And, like, I picked her up. And, like, and they were just, like, shocked that we would do something like that, like, involve ourselves in this terrible situation. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's, yeah, it's still seen as this sort of outlier. Mm -hmm. And I think in part it's because similarly to the fact that nothing like Trump has happened Nothing like Charlottesville or anything has happened either where, you know, it was a clear sort of point of like, this is unacceptable that too many people, 
I think many people got involved after that. I mean, I think when we saw the stuff in Philadelphia or whatever it was uh, later last year, there were like tens of thousands of counter protesters. In Boston. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't right. just leftists, right? Like right. People. It was actually liberals. It was like right. people who would go to the women's march or whatever. Yeah. So, like people hear Antifa and they think, and they have a certain image in their heads of like a black block anarchist or whatever. But like Antifa just means anti-fascist. And everyone right. who's not everyone who's not a fascist should be an anti-fascist, <laughs> they really right? Should be. They, you would think. Um, yeah, you would think if you are not into fascism, then you are probably qualified. But um, it's like it, there, yeah. there's not a lot of middle ground there. Not a lot of people are lukewarm on fascism. Well, you know? well uh, the, the economist is apparently. Oh, yeah. Fair um, enough. Yeah. Fair enough. They're uh, Bolsonaro in, in Brazil. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to ask you. Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, um, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I was definitely struck by being at this protest. And because there's nothing like DSA, which also, to be fair, there was nothing really like DSA just a few years ago in the U.S., um, there is no sort of like, you know, center left big tent organization that people are in that can be drawn out to things like this. So there was basically just Antifa. It was like Antifa and then a few other people who just sort of seemed to show up like me. And then I saw a few of the sort of uh, Victorian socialists who are uh, the sort of, I don't know what they actually believe in, but they are the, you know, more sort of radical socialist uh, group here. But it was really striking. There was not just the kind of people who you would see at an event like that in the in the U.S. who are more just sort of your your garden variety leftists. I imagine Victorian socialists just like sipping tea and frilly brows- blouses <laughs> and getting offended by swears. Is that not yeah. what they do? It's a good name. I mean, shout out the Victorian socialists. I respect them. Um, I'm still not entirely sure what their like platform is. I've gone to a few of their events. It's probably um, better that if but, you want to keep respecting them, you don't go too deep into their platform. Just assume that they're great, have good faith, and that they just do good works. I mean, I think they're I think they're legit. You know, they they're trying to get someone elected to state parliament who's a socialist, um, which here means something very different than it does in the U.S. Because everyone here basically supports Medicare for all and you know other basic like human dignity right. uh, things radical so, shit yeah yeah so but they were very excited when i told them that i was from dsa they are very into dsa and they think it's very cool what's happening in the u.s they even wanted me to come like give a talk to them at some point about like socialist organizing in the u.s so it was very sweet um shout out victorian socialists uh when you were you know in this antifa counter protest um do you get the sense that uh because it doesn't seem like they have a real history of like of anti-fascist action like you know for what it's worth in the united states there's been like ara in the united states since the 80s and 90s and uh you know these kind of anarchist and leftist groups that go out and confront the fascists have existed for a long time do you get the sense that like australian anti-fascist fascist as it becomes a thing are kind of looking towards the united states as a model or Um, I definitely think that some of what's happening in the U.S. um, has spread to here. I mean, uh, one case in point, 
Someone had a gritty sign at the protest. Oh, oh hell yeah. Um, His reach yeah, is so that global. Was a weird thing. <laughs> I don't even know what <laughs> hockey is. <down> there. <laughs> they, I don't know. I mean, they don't. I, they have field hockey here. I don't know. Yeah, so, you need an Australian yeah, rules it, football anti-fascist mascot. <laughs> so, I mean, there's definitely some sort of fusion going on on you know the sort of like leftist internet, which has spread to here. So, I think you definitely see some of that. Um, I actually really want to learn more about the history of leftism here because I don't know a ton about it. Um, it's, you know, it feels very much like it's sort of, it's, it's faded into the background, similarly to what happened in the States. Um, and, you know, things like unions and stuff are not as strong as they used to be here, um, as, you know, manufacturing is not as big of a deal However, there are some major differences, like a lot of young sort of middle class people will have construction jobs here. So there is a little bit less, I feel like, sort of general alienation um, from from labor here among at least some people. Um, But anyway, I mean, it's it definitely feels like Antifa and stuff is is a real, real outlier here. It's not like you see them around a lot. And I mean, even this other um, group, which I think might have been associated with like sleeping giants, Australia, um, who were doing a sort of like picnic counter protest thing specifically posted on their event before the rally, like, Oh, we're not associated with the Antifa groups here. And we like don't approve of their like calls to violence or whatever, which I didn't see any calls to violence when I looked at these people's social media. But, uh, yeah, that was kind of a depressing thing to see that like even the sort of, you know, other anti-fascist groups were like not willing to be associated with, with Antifa. Australian Antifa have boomerangs. (laughs) Uh, I have yet to see any boomerang here in the nine what? months. What that been sucks. Here. That oh. uh, so that yeah, unfortunately, Crocodile not yet. Dundee lied to me. That would be great yeah. if you can just like throw it and smash the Starbucks yeah. window, and then it comes back to you afterwards, and you can bring <laughs> it to the next Starbucks. Idea. Very efficient. They really need to step their game up on the on the boomerang front. And then uh, uh, if you're chanting, them. you could get a uh, didgeridoo in the background too, you know, to give that sort of harmonic, <laughs> wonderful, impending doom. And maybe get a few like kangaroos with boxing gloves on in the mix. <laughs> right, we yeah, still got I a mean, couple of things on our okay, checklist so to mention about One Australia. thing I will yeah. say to, <laughs> right. to Australia's credit is that I have to say the indigenous like recognition that I've seen here is much better than in the U S I mean, I think part of it is just the fact that it's not a very old country. These horrifying things that have happened to indigenous people are like within living memory of people who are still alive today. Uh, but you know, I just, you know, and some of it does come in the sort of guise of like, uh, liberal, like identity politics type stuff. But, you know, it's still cool to see that like before every single event that I go to, someone says like, this is happening on the stolen land of like these groups of people. And like, there is actual, like some direct action towards that where, you know, uh, anyone who's an Aboriginal or a Torres, uh, straight Islander can get like free guests 
spots to any show to any festival like there's there's a lot of that sort of like DIY uh, reparations type stuff happening which is kind of cool and you don't you don't see that in the U.S. We just sort of ignore the fact that indigenous people even exist anymore. Yeah, well, we so, killed all of them, right? Well, we have reservations. Yeah, well, that what happened? Mean, well, that's what we all sort of assume. I think you saw a little bit of us, like, acknowledging that native people still exist in the U.S. during, like, Standing Rock. But here it's, like, a much bigger part of the sort of general social justice movement is, like, dealing with the the history of, of uh, terrible shit that they did to Aboriginal people and the Aboriginal people who are still alive and still exist here. So, yeah. yeah that's something we were talking about a lot on our Mexico episode, too. Mm. Like, the, the presence of Indigenous people and culture yeah. there is much more uh, widespread and much yeah. more felt by, you know, even the mainstream of Mexican culture. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's a much, much smaller percentage here, but they're more present in culture and media. I mean, so so one good thing about Australia is that they have actual decent like what they call free to air TV. So just like, you know, uh, your your regular old antenna TV, you can actually like watch some good shit on there, uh, like Great British Break Off or whatever. Um, but they also have an entire free channel that is just like indigenous programming, which hasn't existed for that long. But it's pretty cool. You can just flick on a TV and there's people talking about like what's going on in indigenous communities. There's even like sports shows that are entirely like, you know, led by like a panel of indigenous people and stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's a cool thing to see. Hell yeah. Well, it sounds like Australia has some things that they do better than us and some things that they do worse than us. It's a land of contrast. (laughs) Yeah. But like, you know, just 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 before Australia gets too big for its britches, um, I'd like to close out this section with a story about the Australian senator who apparently used taxpayer money to go hang out with Nazis. Is that true, Sophie? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's very true. So so yeah, this guy is a is a real 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 piece of shit. What's uh, his this name? guy Fraser Anning. Fraser Anning. He he represents some I'm sure godforsaken district up in what is essentially like the Florida of uh, <laughs> Australia, Queensland. Somewhere uh, Nick that... Cave would make a movie about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's lots of there's lots of crocodiles and terrible poisonous things and like what what they the, what they call their hicks here, which is a bogans. Um, oh right. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, it's like so... instead of Florida man, they have Queensland man, basically. <laughs> Yes, exactly, exactly. So um, Fraser Anning, so, yeah. Yeah, so fucking this guy, his his like what they could call their maiden speech to parliament involved him to- literally talking about the final solution. Oh. So that was his like introduction to to the Australian public. The final um, solution to the Jewish question or the Aboriginal question? Uh, I think more like migrants. I mean, like Uh, migrants are the real, like, you know, hot topic migrants and African gangs are like the real sort of like, uh, scapegoats here at the moment. Um, so yeah, so he's, he's an idiot. Um, but so he actually even got kicked out of various other like 
incredibly racist parties. Like, he's too racist for the other racists. Damn. Like, mm. he got kicked out of Pauline Hansen's party, and she's, like, uh, sort of, I don't know, like, uh, Stephen Miller type mm. uh, or figure, mm. or maybe, like, I don't know, but but someone who's been around for a long time in politics here. And he got kicked out of her party, and he got kicked out of another party that he joined after that. So he's now an independent because he is too racist for wow. everyone. Well, um, yeah, I saw in the article there was some conservative politician who was like, don't get me wrong, we do need to address the problems with immigrants, but this, the, not, the Nazi rally seems unnecessary. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm yeah. seeing I mean, here on the, on the Wikipedia page that he criticizes cultural Marxism. So he's yeah. maybe the closest you have to like a U.S. Uh, you know, right-wing psychopath. Yeah, no, he's he's very close to that sort of ilk, and um, yeah, so I guess he flew down here on on the taxpayer dime to attend a rally, which honestly, literally, he said it was for his constituents, does not make any fucking sense because his constituents are like hundreds and hundreds, thousands of miles away from here. Well, uh, but they're the but, spiritual brothers of his constituents. <laughs> right, because they're all worried about African gangs. So, you know, that's that's apparently a serious problem in Queensland as it as it is here. No, it is not a problem anywhere. It was literally the whole, like, African gangs thing uh, was literally based on a statistic that had the decimal point in the wrong place oh and has God. now become, like, a mainstay of, you know, far-right idiots here. Um, uh, MS-13, so basically. It is, yeah. It's essentially the MS-13 of uh, of Australia, although I would say it's even more, like, sort of the fear-mongering in places like Sweden and, like, Norway and mm. stuff over, like, immigrant gangs right. and, like, blah, blah, blah. Um so yeah, that guy's a real, real piece of shit. Uh, he talked to the various neo-Nazis who were leading the rally here, who have like some dumbass names. I think one of them's called Blair Cottrell, um, and the other one's Neil Erickson. Um, and the fun thing about Australia is that you can actually be convicted of being a racist here, uh, which, of course, all of the right wing people love to talk about how this is like thought crime and it's cultural blah, blah, blah. Marxism. Yeah, so they, but you can get actually charged with inciting hatred against minorities, and both of these dudes who led this rally have actually been convicted, so they're actually convicted racists. Wow. Um, and You've he been convicted was, of race hate. You've got the imprimatur of the judiciary there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they they were broing down with this awful awful fucking senator guy. Um, so he so sounds that was identical cool. to Steve King. Yeah, Ooh, I was gonna say that would be like if Steve King used taxpayer money to go to like an identity Europa, Europa conference <laughs> yeah. in New York City to like talk about the caravan or he something. He used money from a yeah, some sort of very much like that. <laughs> he used money from like a Holocaust remembrance group to go to Auschwitz and oh, then yeah. and then like did, did an yeah. interview with a Holocaust denial newspaper. So it's literally the yeah. same thing. I wrote about that for Splinter. Yep, it's it's fairly similar. I would say this guy is like even more just straight up like fascist and white supremacist than even Steve King. This guy because, I mean, Steve King has not yet been, you know, ousted from the Republican Party. He's still accepted as, like, a member of the Republican Party, whereas these people, like, even the even the sort of, like, freedom fucking caucus type people here, and even the, like, even further right people here, 
won't associate with this guy. So he's he's a real outcast. Ah, the people um, have spoken. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, and that rally, I, I think you showed us pictures of uh, people throwing up white power salutes, right? So it's not yeah, like that And then he tried to deny it later oh, and yeah, say it was like a false flag from the anti- who were yeah, right. who were uh, doing doing the Nazi salutes, and I, I will say, as a firsthand observer who was on the side of the Antifa people, uh, yeah, it was very fucking clearly the the fucking Nazis who were doing Nazi salutes and like doing like marching back and forth and doing other bullshit, which. I'm sure they they thought was was really triggering us. Um, An Antifa so, person yeah. would say that though, wouldn't they? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. You're part of the I, fal- the false flag there. Maybe I don't know. Did you black up and uh, throw up some Heil Hitlers? Or? Yeah, well, you don't have to talk bring about your it. On show. Fucking SS uh, helmet uh, to the rally as a as a false flag, which is also something that happened. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Fraser Anning sucks, but there's also, I mean, he is not the only sort of person in government here who is of the sort of actual sort of like alt-right white supremacist international, Mm. uh, you know, uh, ideology. There's also Peter Dutton, who I believe is essentially like the, the equivalent of the like secretary of, you know, Homeland Security. And he has, you know, really straight up recited white supremacist talking points about like, you know, white farmers in South Africa. He Uh. proposed expediting visas for white people from South Africa because they're like running away from right white genocide. So he's Australian Joe Rogan. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but he's in charge of the fucking department that handles immigration. Oh, so that's very bad. Um, so there is a sort of like thin wedge right now, it seems like, of uh, kind of alt-right figures yeah. that uh, people in Australia and elsewhere should look out for because they could potentially be getting some mileage out of this whole migrant thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's there's similarly to to in the states you know there is the sort of wider coalition of you know regular racists and then there's these people who are really like driven by stronger white nationalist ideologies but like the thing with australia is because this has been a big part of their policy for like a long time i mean the like just google the white australia policy if you're interested in the racist history of this this uh very racist country and i mean obviously there are equivalents to that in the u.s um but it it feels like there's not quite as much sort of uh ground between the the right-wing people in government here and the sort of new provocateur type people i think it's mostly that these people just say different words. Like I think your average, like Bogan, you know, out, out in, in the outback would not know what the fuck cut cultural Marxism is. They're just like, I don't like the Brown people, you know, right. like they're, yeah. So that's, that is, I think a new thing that's infiltrating into, into Australia via, via the wonderful internet that we all uh. know and love. So I think we talked about, everything that we know about australia all the stereotypes and maybe we learned a thing or two more but let's go back to more familiar territory the united states where things are weird and bad in a more familiar way 
Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Trump's new isolationism mm. uh, and how it's confusing the fuck out of everybody. Um, and let's start with a, a clip of Rachel Maddow trying to make sense of Trump uh, praising the Soviet invasion of <laughs> Afghanistan. Is there anything else we should say that t- to tee this up? No, that's good enough. Yeah, okay. No, we start at uh, about four minutes, I think. Russia, 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 Maddow. knew that the Soviet Union had to invade Af- Afghanistan because there, were, there was a threat of terrorism and it was actually a good move. And It is my perception that that is an idea that doesn't exist in nature in the United States, that there isn't anybody who espouses that view. Is that true? To the best of my knowledge, Rachel, that is correct. But I have to say... What an incredible team you have to have found yeah, where it doesn't. That guy clearly has never met a tanky. <laughs> I uh, so this Most Afghan people have it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, for better or for worse, only online does that count. <laughs> <laughs> so my my understanding of this whole thing is so Trump had a press conference last week, and uh, in his Adderall addled rambling way, he for some reason mentioned uh, Afghanistan and basically was like a, a Brezhnev stand. He said that uh, they did the right thing to go in there and uh, root out terrorism. When uh, anybody who knows the history of that, that was not at all what was happening in 1979 in yeah, Afghanistan. Yeah, and, and we were listening to it on NPR the other day, which <laughs> yeah. is a thing that Sean and I sometimes yeah. do in yeah, the car. We hate listening and, to it. And it was pretty funny because they had on this, you know, foreign policy expert, like, trying yeah. to make sense <laughs> like of very, the insane <laughs> shit that Trump was saying. Like a very well-educated, you know, historical and political <laughs> analyst for some think tank. And like, this is what I said back, you know, back at the beginning when Trump got elected. Like, if we, if you could abstract away from all the very real and very bad outcomes of having Trump be president, it will be kind of funny <laughs> to listen to these, like, career foreign policy experts having to talk about the 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 demented ramblings that <laughs> spill forth from his Adderall damaged brain. There was at one point like uh, it wasn't Terry Gross, but everybody on NPR has a Terry Gross voice. Yeah. Um, she was like, uh, you know, do you think that he got this from, uh, you know, some sort of policy report or do you think that he, uh, you know, went into the archives and was reading about the uh, Russian invasion? And they both just sort of kind of like laughed a little bit because it's, it's so fucking absurd. The idea of Trump going in like, I need all the, the files from declassified documents from yeah. the 1970s. It's the first thing he's ever read. Yeah. yeah. He's just like, like, like yeah, nose I mean- deep in some files. This quote for him about this is, I mean, it's extremely high level uh, thinking from from Trump here. He's basically like, it's unclear. I think he's saying that Russia that or the, the Soviet Union went bankrupt right. and that's why they had to become Russia. And it, he seems to think that Afghanistan is essentially like the Mexico of russia like he thinks that like the terrorists are like coming in from afghanistan and that's why they had to invade them but that seems to be what's going on here i don't, I don't know i mean it's it, not, he just keeps saying they went bankrupt but it's like who went bankrupt well, you, you went out of money and you have to be communist because uh, that's the only system with no money right obviously Duh. obviously 
Well, I, you know, I don't say a lot of nice things about Trump on this show, and I don't say a lot of things about Trump in general, but I will say that um, it's refreshing to have a politician who, uh, you know, upholds the 1968 Brezhnev Doctrine, uh, which he promulgated after the uh, Hungarian and Czech Revolution of the people, that said that it is in the interest, nay, it is the obligation and duty of the international proletariat as represented by the United Soviet Socialist Republic to back up any socialist country that is under threat by capitalist invasion or internal forces that want to bring forward a counter-revolution against socialist values. I think that's where Trump got it from. I think he's a Brezhnevite. And now, now that's not great. You know, he's still a revisionist. But I think it's like baby steps. You know, he can get there. Yeah. I mean, tankies for Trump might sound crazy to some people. But, uh, you know, these are strange times we live in. We got we to gotta take our allies where we can. Now, I bet that if, like, uh, Trump, because, you know, he, only, he, like, listens to the last person that he talked to and just, like, creates policy yeah. out of that. I bet if we get Grover Fur, the famous Stalin apologist, uh, into into the, uh, the Oval Office to sit down with him a bit, we could maybe, at least for a couple days, get a uh, tanky trump yeah maybe oh, trump we could 100 get like tanky trump that is not far-fetched i mean we could probably get like red kahina as the new defense secretary <laughs> if we just like got got them in there and you know uh told trump that that they liked him so, so uh brett from rebel left radio if you're listening see if you can get trump to be your new co-host that's good yeah <laughs> maybe we'll cut that maybe we won't uh that's some inside baseball over here in the leftist podcast universe sophie everyone um, says we have the best praxis <laughs> oh man um all I'll say is that I wrote a piece for Splinter about the whole we're pulling troops out of Afghanistan and Syria thing and just mentioned that it's good to not have U.S. troops uh, illegally fighting wars in the Middle East. And our uh, very cool commentariat were, were not happy about that. They they think that we should be in Syria and uh Afghanistan and uh yeah so so I don't know I maybe I'm becoming a tanky for Trump yeah, I don't know not? well for um the listeners out there just so you know we have recorded a uh, bonus episode where we do uh, touch a bit on the Kurds and Turkey and the U.S. pull out of troops and also uh, Assad uh, basically allying with those Kurds. So stay tuned for that. And if you're not a patron, uh, patron uh, you can sign up at www.patreon.com slash the Antifada. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to oversell it. It's mostly about crime, think. Yeah. But we also talk about Syria and Rojava because yeah. why not? Yeah, why not? And I should tell you that you're going to get some stickers if you sign yeah. up. Hell yeah, you will. We got new big stickers. They're going to be printed out, and they will be available. So, uh, yeah, you get your uh, what'd you call it, Andy? The Antifada propaganda pack or something. Doctor like Antifada's deluxe prize pack? Mm-hmm. Question something mark. Like that. Yeah. So sign up today, and you will receive that yeah. shortly. So, in happier news, a girl Alexandria is dominating the headlines. Whether oh, she's yeah. uh, dancing or just doing a really good job posting or saying crazy things like we need to bring back top marginal tax rates of 70% when they actually used to be even higher than that. Um, I I gotta say it's easy to be cynical about electoralism, but uh, I like her. 
What do, what do you <laughs> think, Sophie? Great. Are you pro? They're so mad. Everyone is so mad. It's it's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, she's gonna not. I mean, it's not like you know, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is going to single handedly like bring about um, you know the third international or whatever. Uh, but she, you know, she's really pissing off all of the right people. So that's great. And, you know, she just doesn't give a shit about what they think. Uh, plus she got the, the idea of a 70% marginal tax rate on the cover of the daily news. Like that was not going to happen without her. Uh, like, no one even knew what the fuck a marginal tax rate was. Like, literally no one understands this shit because we live in a depressing, uh, completely, uh, you know, class-ignorant society. So it's great that people are now learning what a marginal tax rate is. And they're thinking like, oh, maybe this is a good thing. I don't know. Maybe we should take away rich people's money or at least take away a tiny amount of their money. But yeah. Hell yeah. And Rashida Tlaib too is the other, uh, the other unruly woman dominating the headlines who, for for, for saying a swear. (gasps) She called Trump a motherfucker, right? Yeah, and as, as Will Menneker noted, uh, if she called him like a, a, a douching twat waffle or something, <laughs> like they all would have thought that was great, but they can't handle grown-up swears. All, also, I mean, my only critique is that I think daughter fucker would have been more appropriate, but, you know, that's mm. neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she seems she seems cool. I don't know. I think I think the newest move is I think we're going to see a lot of painting her and uh, Ilhan Omar, who's another new uh, representative who is a Muslim woman. They are the first two Muslim women to be representatives in the U.S. Uh, just uh, stay tuned for some serious, serious Zionist uh, fear-mongering mm. over these two uh, women and their, their nefarious anti-Semitism that yeah. is going to destroy destroy the U.S. Wow. So those, those dancing, swearing, uncouth <laughs> Sharia socialist women. Yeah, uh, pretty much. What a, what a turn this country's taken. <laughs> I mean, we've certainly had a lot of debates within the Democratic Socialists of America and within the wider left as well about um, what kind of electoral projects we should be involving ourselves with, whether we should be doing it at all. Um, the efficacy of running on the Democratic Party line and, you know, some some very real fears about the left just being eaten by the Democratic Party as it has been at other times in history. But at this point in time, you know, we see these these two women out there who were both endorsed by the DSA, just like dominating the headlines, being awesome. And I I really think our association with them is only going to be positive for us at this point in time. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty incredible that this person who, you know, was like a DSA candidate is now, I would say, like, AOC is probably one, has become one of the most recognizable American politicians within, you know, six months. It's insane. Um, it's really cool. It's, and it really pisses off all the idiots. So, 
I'm all for it. And she's impervious to all their attacks because uh, they're like, oh, she's dancing. She's frivolous. And everyone else is like, no, that's cool. That's what people do. You know, yeah. they post and, <laughs> and she doesn't care what these mainstream media dorks think of her. You know, she yeah. can't be uh, she can't get owned by Anderson Cooper because she doesn't care. And she's not giving them that power, which is no cool as shit. And she doesn't have any like big corporate donors to worry about pissing off. So she can literally say whatever she wants. It's like the people who voted for her don't give a shit if she danced in college yeah. or, you know, if she supports things like, oh, protecting us from climate change. Oh, no. How terrible. Um, yeah, working yeah, class queens, uh, her, her district, I think, is pretty pretty happy so far with what they've done. And the uh, Bronx. Done. And the Bronx, thank you. Yeah, it, it's amazing to see her on TV talking about class politics in such a real way. It, I mean, I guess we had Bernie before her, but before that, we really didn't see a lot of that in the mainstream conversation at all. So, like, yes, I'm substantially to the left of her, but anyone who gets people to think in these terms is a positive in my book. And I just wanted to make a little uh, shout out to our uh, fans who might be a little bit more interested in extra parliamentary politics. Um, it's really easy to just listen to a podcast and be on social media and write posts and stuff like that and get, get some satisfaction as if you were being politically active. I think as us being writers and podcasters, we, we all fall into that to some extent. But at the same time, uh, we still need to be using whatever skills we have, whatever time we can spare while still being healthy to furthering the struggle. And I was reminded by that uh, by one of our listeners who I want to make a very positive shout out to, uh, our listener Gwen. Shout who, out Gwen. Uh, who's part of our Discord commune. And um, she was occupying outside a detention center in, I think, Tornillo, Texas oh, in December. Thanks. It was really cold there. Um, the stories that are coming about about how they're treating children there and in Homestead, Florida, are really, really fucked up and horrible. And I respect anyone who is out there so much keeping an eye on what the state is doing. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, so I'll put a link in the show notes to an interview with a couple people who are at that camp. Hell yeah. Bring back Occupy ICE. That was good. Yeah. Why did it stop? Keep doing it. It's still it. going on I, at yeah, that it's, camp. It's, so. it's, it's rolling, I think, right? Yeah. They're doing rolling good. occupations. And for our uh, Australian listeners out there, and there are a decent amount of them, uh, I think this conversation oh. with Sophie is kind of tied together uh, you know, uh, supporting migrants over there and also over here with yeah. direct action and other means. So that's great. Do it. We do some, there, there are some cool things. I mean, you guys will like this. Uh, one, there was a very good protest. Um, there's so, so Australia, there is like a literal state holiday for a horse race, um, called the Melbourne cup and all of these, rich idiots go and get shit faced in stupid hats uh at this horse race and someone drove a car over the the train tracks that get got to the horse race uh to to protest the treatment of refugees here and so all these rich people had to like walk in their high heels uh-huh. over over the tracks to get to their their dumb party so nice. so there's some cool shit happening here occasionally uh disrupt disrupt the ruling class it's always good yeah australian antifa shout out to them and uh all of our uh antifa super soldiers around the world thank you so much sophie for coming on and uh maybe we'll do uh, a little bonus with you or maybe we won't because she doesn't have that much time yeah whatever
We'll see. Stay tuned, folks. <laughs> <laughs>